Children's Church, kids up to the sixth grade can make your way back to Children's Church. I would like to say thank you for everybody participating in the serving in the worship part, the uh, praise and music part of our service. Also wanted to give one more announcement. Um, we are right at the beginning stages of uh, collecting some monies to update our sanctuary. We're looking at getting new carpet, new pews, and doing some other improvements. We've had announcements um, that's come in the mail and also in the bulletin if you would pray about uh, giving commitment to that. And so there's opportunity for you in the main foyer. You can see um, a picture of what we are anticipating the sanctuary will look like as well as a little bit of a road map that would get us there to where we want to be. So if you would pray about that, about a giving commitment, and then we're grateful to see God bring in those monies over the next several months so that hopefully in in, uh, 2019 we can begin um, updating our facility. I'm gonna ask you to stop with me one more time and, and bow in prayer. Father, as we come to you, It is with an expectation that we have the word of God before us. We have the Holy Spirit present with us and we have a group of believers that are joined together to be encouraged and challenged by it. I would pray, Father, that you would help me not to get in the way, hide me behind the cross of Christ. And as we examine this text that's been taught through thousands upon thousands of times, We thank you that it can be something fresh to us. We would pray for the clear involvement of the Holy Spirit in in this place today. We thank you that we can worship you through our study now. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Several of you took on the challenge that I gave months ago to acquire the book, The Screwtape Letters, and to read through that. Some of you chose to go through the audio version of that. And I wanted to start off today by reading a section from the the book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, that I think will help us as we jump into our passage today. The Screwtape Letters, in a conversation between one senior tempter and a junior tempter, they discuss this topic. They discuss why wouldn't God physically appear to people in order to win their allegiance. And here's a little bit of the flavor of the conversation between the two demons. The enemy wants a world full of humans united to him, but still distinct. Surely you've wondered, as all demons have, why the enemy does not make use of his power to be sensibly present to human souls. Why wouldn't he, if he could, show himself to humans at any moment to earn their permanent allegiance? And to this question, the other demon responded that they have determined in their school where they learned that the enemy, they're talking about God, is a fool for not showing himself more clearly. I'd like you to just chew on that for a little bit. Even apply it to yourself. Do you think that it would have a bigger impact on you as a follower of Jesus Christ if miraculously God were to appear to you? Now, don't rush too quick to a conclusion. 
I'm going to ask you for the next several moments to think about this. And I want to suggest to us that as we have opportunity to look into history, there have been times that the devil has attacked and there are some common themes when the devil attacks. You see, Satan is a student of humans. He's a student of unbelievers. He's a student of brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as he has had opportunity to, what I believe is, memorize the Bible and to observe these humans that are in this world, and it turns over about every hundred years, a whole new set of humans. I want to suggest to us today that the devil, who is wily, who is smart, who is our enemy that we should not take lightly, he has had good success in tempting us in some major ways. There are some common dangers that he knows if I go down this route, I can have a good effect. And so I would ask you again, which is a better time to live? A time when individuals were able to see miracles of God sometime in the past, maybe the dividing of the Red Sea, maybe the walls of Jericho coming tumbling down. God clearly involved. Was that a better time to be a follower of God or is the time that we live in today a better time? It's interesting when we talk about this because I think, and even in my ABF group, this is one of our uh, discussion questions uh, following today as we meet. Which is a better time? We have the advantage of hindsight. And I want to go ahead and highlight three common dangers that the devil has picked up on that he has used in the past in, in, in God's big, big picture, and God's plan. And I think also he uses them today. And as I list these three dangers, I want, you to, I want you to ask yourself, does the devil work that way in my heart today? Does the devil work in this way in our church assembly? Do I face similar problems? Here are three of those dangers that I want to note, and I'm gonna give you some Old Testament examples for them. The first one is this. Adults oftentimes act like children. The devil, the devil has grabbed a hold of this and he uses it as a major divider among God's people. Let me go right to this illustration here. In my own Bible study, I go through different sections of the scripture and in the Old Testament, I've been in the book of Exodus. I've gone through in the Exodus where God miraculously delivered his people from slavery. And when we think of the Exodus, there's a major event that follows that. And it's the time where Moses goes up on a mountain and God gives these rules for his children to live by. Have you ever wondered how that timing works? Why did God pick that specific time to give the Ten Commandments? Well, as I look at it, it makes sense to me that when we have the exodus of the Hebrew children from Egypt, they had been in slavery for over 400 years. Now, if you're a, a young earth kind of a person, thinking the earth is between six and 8,000 years old, I mean, that's nearly half. I mean, that's nearly half of a millennium, right? Of, of, of 1,000 years. 400 years is such a huge span. 
These individuals had no concept of how to live life outside of slavery. And so they are inexperienced. And so God takes that opportunity to establish a system of rules for them to live by. Because grown adults left to themselves will oftentimes act like children. And the devil knows this. And the devil loves to grab a hold of this one and to use it to divide people. Here's another danger that we need to be on guard of that the devil is very aware of. Individuals are torn back and forth. Back and forth. Think of a ship in the ocean just being tossed back and forth. Individuals are torn back and forth between what God has clearly told us we should do and be and between something different something that would pull very strong uh, something inside of us to go and do something different than what God wants. Let me reference this from the Old Testament. As we look at God's people, there is no doubt that the best leadership plan for God's people was a theocracy. God as the sole leader. And yet we find God's people, even though they were reminded of this, and they had a prophet that was put in place, they would see what the world had. They would see other nations and the kings that had been set up. And they would be told, this is what God wants, a theocracy for God to be your only leader. And then they would be torn this way and they would see these kings over here and maybe the success that they thought those nations were having. Back and forth, back and forth until it finally came to a head. And in 1 Samuel 8, here's um, a portion of scripture that represents what happened. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel, the prophet, and they said, Appoint for us a king to judge us like the other nations. They knew what God said. In fact, Samuel's response lets us know clearly the the continued frustration because the Bible says, but the thing displeased Samuel. And we know, if you're a student of the Old Testament, what happened. There was a king that was established, King Saul. And despite the warnings from God's prophet, the individuals being torn back and forth, back and forth, and they gave in to the way that was not God's way. And then let me give you one more danger, and this is all going to lead up to our time in Ephesians today. The last danger is this. We are susceptible to being tricked by cunning and deceitful men. I want to read for you a portion of Scripture from Joshua 9 that reflects this. And just for background, Joshua 9, this is um, after the battle of Jericho. The walls came tumbling down as the old song goes. And I want to read a portion of scripture for for you and I'm reading from the message. This is what it says. The people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai and they cooked up a ruse. They posed as travelers and they came to Joshua at Gilgal and spoke to the men of Israel. We've come from a far off country. Make a covenant with us. The men of Israel said to these Hivites, How do we know that you aren't local people? How could we then make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, We will be your servants. Joshua said, Well, who are you now? 
Where did you come from? And they said, from a far off country, very far away. Your servants came because we heard of such great things about your God. All those things he did in Egypt and our leaders and everybody else in our country told us, pack up some food for the road and go and meet them. We are your servants. Make a covenant with us. And the men of Israel looked them over and accepted the evidence, but they did not ask God about it. And so Joshua made peace with them and formalized it with a covenant to guarantee their lives. And the leaders of the congregation swore to it. God's people were duped, even though they had a wonderful leader in place. So three things that we see. Oftentimes, God's people will, even though they're adults, act like children We are tossed back and forth between what we should do and what we should not do. And also, we are susceptible to be tricked by schemers. Now, here's how I've set this up. This has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. And if you're a chess player, maybe you can just put in your head moves and counter moves. God makes a move. The devil makes a counter move. The devil had success over a long time with these dangers. And I want to suggest to us today that God makes an incredible counter move. And as he does this, he does something, and it's very, very colorful the way that he does it. I'm asking the question, do we face these similar challenges in our church today? And what has God done different to um, help us with that? Now, With our portion today, if you're not already there, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bibles. And what I have done is I've taken these uh, next several verses, and I was going to try to just preach on five or six verses, and I'm going to go all the way through verse 16 today. So, and then I'll come back to it next time in Ephesians. So, the next slide right here is actually a little bit of a commercial for the next time we come back. He has gifted leaders. He's established to lead churches. And he has gifted individuals to serve. If you're a fast rider, you got those down. But now, oh, they're gone. Look at that. All right. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to look at this this week. Go down through verse 16. And also, um, next time we come together to talk from Ephesians. And I'm asking the question, what is the glue that holds God's people together? I'm going to start in verse number 1. We've already covered verses 1 through 3. But for context, I want to back up. Starting in verse 1 of Ephesians 4, we'll read down through 7 right now. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of christ's gift so we find a listing here And it's easy to find the theme. The theme is one. And this is going to be the glue 
that's going to work to hold God's people together and even to fend off the attacks of the devil. Let me go over these very quickly. One body. Each believer at the point of their conversion is joined to the body of Christ. And this one body is a model for the multitude of local bodies that are established across the world. We are one of many bodies established. And the big picture body of Christ is our model. So there's one body. And then there is one spirit. The Holy Spirit is referenced about 11 or 12 times in the book of Ephesians, which tells us how important he is to the success in the Christian walk. And here's where the word one comes in. The same Holy Spirit indwells each follower of Christ. So if you have accepted Christ as your your Savior, the Holy Spirit came to dwell within you, and it's the exact same Holy Spirit that dwells with that one that's in the pew down the way from you. One hope, hope here, and this is a good example of where our English language tricks us sometimes, so get a good handle on this, because the word hope might give you a certain picture that's not what it's talking about here. Oftentimes when we think of hope, we think of a psychic disposition of hopefulness. Cross my fingers, I hope so. And when the Bible talks about a hope, it is talking about the substance of our hope, which is who? It is Jesus Christ. Christ is the substance of our hope, and we have one hope. Christ's resurrection has ensured the believer's resurrection to eternal life. All right, here's the crazy glue. Are you seeing this coming together? Next is one Lord. Jesus Christ is the anointed one of God. He is pictured in the Old Testament. We see a shadow of him in the Old Testament, and then we see it coming to life in the New Testament and the work that he did. And Jesus Christ alone is the one that the church needs to hold as preeminent. Nothing above Christ ever, one Lord. And then it says one faith. The crucified and resurrected Lord is the object of our one faith. And then it says one baptism. And there are a couple different opinions on this. Some like the idea that this is just spirit baptism. Others reference water baptism. And so let me go ahead and reference both of them. And you can, everybody can be happy if we do that, I guess. We are unified in that we believe that the baptism of the Spirit was the time that our sin was removed, one baptism, baptism of the Spirit. And the water baptism is a visible picture of this removal. When you get physically baptized, that is a picture for others to see that you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, let me invite you. We are, I think we're gonna have a baptism service coming up in the next couple months here. Let me invite you to be a part of that if you've never been baptized um, following your uh, conversion. One baptism. And then one God and Father of all. We are the children in the same family, loving and serving the same Father. When the Lord gave us the model prayer, he said, our Father who art in heaven. Not my Father, but our Father. So this is the crazy glue that's going to hold us together. Now, let me ask this question. If the devil's so smart, isn't he going to bring up those common attacks? Do you remember the attacks? Let me ask you to be thinking again. 
does the devil, have you seen him use one of those attacks maybe in your life or in your church? And is it going to be different now? The dangers are still very real, but I want to suggest to us that in the next few verses in Ephesians 4, we find a colorful event going on. This is one of those debated events in the scriptures. Don't get stuck on it. It's not one of the majors, but I think it helps us to understand what God does to change things. To answer this question, are things different now, we need to ask what happened immediately after Christ died on the cross. The question that you might find asked in Christian circles is, where was Jesus for that time? When he died until he rose again, where was Jesus? In the next few verses, we find a colorful description of where he was. Let's read read verses 8 through 12 of Ephesians 4. So we just talked about the glue And now it says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Stop right there. So are you getting this colorful picture? What did Jesus do when he, when he died, when he said, it is finished. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And this gives us an idea of what Jesus did, or should I say, where he went. When we see him, it says he ascended, but he also descended into the lower regions. And here's the idea. The idea is, well, I'm not going to use the word hell, because that gives most of us a certain picture. I'm going to use the word Hades, And the word Sheol. Before the cross, there was a place, Hades or Sheol. We find references to it in the New Testament with the rich man and Lazarus. And that's a confusing story for several, isn't it? Where the rich man calls out, Father Abraham, let Lazarus come and dip his finger and come and cool my tongue in this torment. It's not a parable. It's real, because in parables, we don't find real, proper names, and Lazarus is a real, proper name, so this really happened. In fact, that was the sermon, that was the text that was preached at my uncle's funeral, where my dad and my uncle would eventually come to Christ, that sermon on hell. Here's this place, Hades, where there's this great gulf between Jesus went to Sheol, or Hades, and it gives a little bit of detail what he did there. And at that point, something changes because he takes those who were followers of God from Sheol and he takes them with him to up on high. And now we know as followers of Jesus Christ that to be absent from the body is to be present with who? The Lord. Okay, so get the picture of what happened. Jesus Christ, following his death, goes and he does that work. And that's the colorful picture I'm talking about. And then, and at that point, What's different? Well, the Holy Spirit is going to be very much coming very soon at Pentecost. But we also see some details that applies to you today. Did he say me? Yes, I said you. It applies to you today, and it applies to me. It almost seems out of place. So get that picture of what Jesus Christ did, and then look with me at verse 
number 11. So that's the setting. And then it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. We find here exactly what took place. We find that Jesus gave something very unique and something special. He gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, church leadership, individuals to establish churches. And for those of you who say, well, I'm not one of those, here's how it applies to you. I want you to skip down to verse number 15. 15 and 16 says this, rather speaking, the, look for yourself in here, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Can you see yourself in that section? So what Jesus Christ does, he establishes the leaders in the churches and he establishes the individuals who are gonna make the churches run. The brothers and sisters in Christ who are there to do the work of the ministry. Do you see how important you are? The old line that gets said every once in a while that 10% of the people in a church do 90% of the work. And that's not the case here at Calvary. Our stats are very, very different than that. It's a lot more positive than that. Having said that, a church is gonna be limited if it has a very, very few people doing the work of the ministry. And that's why you have to be looking for how God has gifted you. What could you do? I'm gonna spend a whole nother time talking about this because this is tricky because you are not the same as you. And this one is not the same as this one here. You know what that causes sometimes? It causes friction. So you're gonna have to go back to the previous message where we respond with humility and love and patience. And these all go together. But you see, the fact that we are different, we are gifted in a different way, that is what makes the church prosper. You are so important. The best line in my study for this message was this. It was another pastor, and um, he's a wonderful teacher, but he said something I've never heard before, and it, it rubbed me the wrong way when he said it. I mentioned it to one of our staff persons, and they said, yeah, that's not me. Here's what this one teacher said about these different gifts. He said, I have never been jealous of another person's gift in the church. When I heard that, I thought, you've never been jealous of somebody else's gift. I talked to one of our staffers and they said, man, that's not me. I look at how that person is gifted and think, man, I wish I could do that. And yet there's great discernment in that statement. Because who gives the gifting? It's a gift of the Spirit. God the Spirit gives you your individual gift, the way you are supposed to serve others. Does God make mistakes? 
No, he does not. So when you look at your gift, don't think, man, I wish I had what that guy had. Or boy, if I could just get that gift, what that girl has, then boy, I'd, I'd be able to move. No. And I love that statement. I have never been jealous of another's gift. Now, let me try this together. Or let me try to tie this together. Apart from a community of believers, and this is strong, but you guys know my favorite subject, right? Local church. Apart from a community of believers, we are prone to wander theologically. Apart from those that have differing gifts, we are not going to have a good balance. We're not going to mature in a balanced way if we're not around others that have different gifts. And if we are not surrounded by loving brothers and sisters who will speak the truth in love, we will be open to schemers, individuals who do not care about the unity. The devil still wants to use these dangers to trip us up. It's right there. Look at verse, uh, we'll read verses 12, starting in verse 12 through 14. Look what it says. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity, oh, beautiful, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. That's a picture of a church. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are setting the bar high. Why? So that, verse 14, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. You see moves and counter moves. Here's what God has done. He has established a gift within you to participate in a local church to serve others that would stand against the devil. And God has established leaders within a congregation to do a work. That word equipped there, I'm gonna close by talking about that word that we read, equipped. That word equipped is a very specific word. Let me go ahead and give you some takeaways if you're taking notes. I think I've got some here. Randy, I'll let you advance the slide. Oh, I got it. All right. Here's what you can do. Spare no effort, and that's even an understatement there. Spare no effort to maintain the God-given unity in the church. I could preach for another hour on this. Here's the idea in in, in this passage. We do not have to work. Don't miss this. This was... This was beautiful and fresh to me. We do not have to work to develop a unity with brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not saying that wrong. Listen to it again. You do not have to work to develop a unity with brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to work to maintain the unity. You see, when you become saved, God puts a unity within you. And we just, we just mess it up. And yeah, maybe you've got some experience with another Christian over here or a church leader over here and that's part of your story. 
We have to work to not create a unity, but we are called to maintain it, and that's right there in Ephesians chapter four. Every believer already has within them this unity, and we have to be eager to maintain it, fight for it, and know that the devil will attack it. I wasn't in the building for more than an hour today when someone came to me and we were talking about this attack from the devil to divide. Do you think that's an effective tool of the devil to divide believers? Oh my goodness. So it's not just, so that word eager, study that out, it's a great word. It is do whatever it takes to maintain the unity. How do we do this? Well, we do this first of all by praying for and being an encouragement to those that have the responsibility of equipping the believers to do the work of the ministry. Praying for those leaders who have the tough task and they will stand before God someday who have been there to train the brothers and sisters to do the work of the ministry. So pray for them. And then second, you can be involved by serving in a way that reflects your God-given gift. Now let me close with this because I told you I was gonna come back to that word equipped. I don't get into the original languages too much, but let me just go a little deeper with this word equipped. It is actually a surgical word, a surgical word that has been placed there for a specific reason. And the idea gives this picture. It's um, the idea for setting a broken limb or putting a joint back into its place. All right, is that a fun job for a physician to set a broken limb or to put a joint back in place? But it's an important job. Now, in the day we live in, in, in the internet technology, there's quite a bit of information that we can get. We can self-diagnose quite a bit. We can even go and even do a little bit of self-treatment ourselves. Let me share with you a story about when I did some self-treatment a few years ago that points to this picture of setting a broken limb or else putting something back in joint. Um, it was more than 10 years ago, and as I was playing with my son, who was much smaller at that point, um, on my lap, he jumped off that chair that we were sitting in and he came down right on my foot and it caused a lot of pain. I went up and screamed and I found myself over the next few weeks and I had to be on my feet quite a bit, I found myself in excruciating pain for a couple weeks at this point. It wasn't getting any better. And so in my computer-like mind, I developed how to fix this. And I had seen it before. I had seen an individual get something out of joint before. Maybe you've seen it in TV or in real life. And, and the, the setting of that is very excruciatingly hard right at first, but there's relief that comes. And I had in my mind that this is exactly what needed to take place. And so I grabbed the second best physician in the house, my wife, and I said, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna lay down on the bed and I want you to pull on that toe because I think the toe is out of joint. And it's going to hurt me, but it's going to pop back in place and it's going to be wonderful. So no matter how much I scream, keep on pulling. It's going to pop back in place. <laughs> and I'm told I don't have a high tolerance for pain anyway. I'm grabbing hold of the blankets and I'm gritting and I'm just waiting for that relief to come. And Tina, and I think she was half crying and half smiling at the same time. 
pulling, pull, and you know, she's just doing what I asked her to do. Going to get that thing back in joint. It's a hard work. This is the picture of equipped. Something that needs to be done to set something right. And she pulled and it didn't go back in place. And she pulled and it didn't go back in place. And it must have been three or four hours of pulling. It was probably three or four minutes of pulling. It never popped back in place. I was on my feet quite a bit over the next month and it was um, more than a few weeks later and I went to the doctor finally. Hey guys, I finally went to the doctor. And they gave this report. They said, oh yeah, it's broken like that. And I said, oh, my toe is broken? And they said, oh, your foot, your foot is broken. And so I self-diagnosed and I've got my loving, wonderful wife pulling on my broken foot. Now, if anybody's ever had a temptation to ask me counsel as far as your, you know, uh, medical condition, now you know not to come to me. (laughs) That idea of putting something back in place the way it's supposed to be, that's that word equipped. Sometimes there will be a time when leaders have to do something painful to put something back in place to put it into the condition which it ought to be. Listen, God has set a way for us to be equipped to avoid these dangers, and it's a combination. We're gonna come back to this. It's a combination of you. And there's a place. I mean, I'm all about the grace, so if you're a new believer or you're new to Calvary, there's not an expectation that you're gonna be super Christian and get signed up for everything. Having said that, the reason that we, don't miss this, The reason that we are able to say the gates of hell will not prevail against our local assembly is because we recognize the importance of you, your giftedness, and the giftedness of the leaders. And today, God has made every local fellowship with gifted leaders and gifted brothers and sisters, and this is why we can have confidence. You see, it's different God gave us something for the church and the Holy Spirit beautifully involved. Jesus Christ couldn't be in every place when he walked in this world. Jesus Christ said, when I go, something better is going to come. And if you follow Christ today, the Holy Spirit resides within you. And this is what is different. The leaders are different. The followers are different. And the beautiful picture of the church. What a mighty God we serve Listen, I have an undaunting confidence in the local church. It will not go away. As long as I am alive or until Jesus Christ comes back, the church will be here. And these beautiful 16 verses give us what is at the heart of what is going to hold it together, but then we have to add to it these new things that God has given. And that's why You can walk out of here not puffed up because of the talents of this one or because of the money in the bank account or because of this ministry, but you can walk out of here with confidence because God has put this in place. And by his grace, he's going to to use you to continue it. And you'll praise God for that. Let's pray. God, there is no doubt 
that every one of us falls short. We are ill-equipped to make this happen. The most gifted and talented and charismatic individual here cannot do it because we face an enemy. The devil knows what works. He knows what he can do. And I thank you for making the counter move of establishing the church and giving us the Holy Spirit, establishing individuals that don't just come and observe, but they take the towel and they kneel down and they serve. And leaders that will not say, what can I do to make others follow me? But they will say, how can I serve these saints? How beautiful is your plan? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Ron to play through a stanza on the piano. As we oftentimes do, we give you a chance to pray. Maybe God's put something on your heart. You'd like to pray. Maybe about how you can be involved or about how you can pray for this church. Maybe you're here today, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. Today can be the day of salvation. Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world and you can ask him to forgive you. This might be the turnaround day for your life. Take just a moment to pray.